Hi, and welcome to the Media Side of Things podcast. My name is Alex Furillo, and I am the host of this podcast. Can you believe it? This is a consistent upload schedule. Um, this week we had Kevin Woodley of Ingol Magazine, NHL.com. Uh, he is a lovely, lovely guy. We had a, a really long chat. He was very generous with his time. It was after the Canucks game where they won, so I think he was in a good mood. Um, but he... Uh, this is, uh, I'll say, this is one of the best episodes I think I've ever had. Uh, Kevin was was really, really kind, uh, very insightful, had a lot to say, and also he offered to record his own microphone um, so that this episode sounds fantastic, apart from the fact that it's a very hot day and the fan was on in the background the whole time and it was louder than I thought it would be. I think I did an okay job of removing it. I'm sorry if you hear the fan or the, the place below me playing music halfway through. Uh, I stomped on the floor a couple times, so I'm also sorry if you heard that. Regardless, enjoy Kevin Woodley this week. Again, lovely guy. Um, Check out Ingomag if you haven't already. I'm assuming you're here because of him. Uh, But yeah, enjoy the the magazine and and the podcast and uh, just enjoy listening. First off. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you may be a little irked by the title, The Goalie Whisperer, but as a goalie myself, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for joining today. I, I don't think I'm irked. I guess I'm flattered, but I always make the joke because it's true <laughs> that my beer league team is irked every time they hear it because for a guy who you know gets these, you know, these, these kind things said about his ability to analyze goalies, I think they wish I was a little better at actually being a goalie. It drives them a little nuts. So, I mean, but I can t- I'll, t- I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you. It's uh look, it's a it's a good title to have. I I wouldn't be upset if I was if I was the goalie whisperer. Um, look, I'm sure people know Kevin, but for those who don't, who are you? What do you do? Where do you work? And what's your save percentage in your beer league? Uh, in that order, please. <laughs> okay, so uh, my name is Kevin Woodley. I work uh, for the NHL at NHL.com as a writer covering the Canucks. I've done that for Jesus. I think this is my 11th year, so a little over a decade. Ooh. Um, a decade before that, I, which I guess now this makes me old, uh, I worked for Associated Press here in Vancouver. Uh, I was a freelancer. I worked for anyone who would hire me to write a story for, you know, that's, that's the nature of getting into the business. Everywhere from the hockey news, I uh, did a little stringing for Sports Illustrated, which sounds sexier than it is back then. You just got paid to ask questions and send quotes in. Um, and uh, covered a couple cup finals for USA Today. That was probably the sort of highest achievement as a freelancer. And now I'm kind of settled into, I guess, uh, a niche, um, both with NHL.com. They gave me a goalie column that's running every second week now. And um, in Goal Magazine, which uh, was founded by David Hutchison. And in the small worlds of all small world stories, he lives on Vancouver Island. I work in Vancouver, really nearby. I was at my in-laws, found his website, and we started working together. And so now Ingle Magazine is, you know, I, I think you could honestly say it's probably the leading goaltending publication in the world, for at least for ice hockey goaltenders. And we do everything. We, we don't do a lot of sort of just general interest stories. Like you got to be a goalie to sort of get it and, and, and enjoy it. But we've tried to really take other goalies where I get to go, which is inside the room and sometimes in the offseason on the ice with these guys and, and not just show off their gear and their personality and stuff like that, but really show you tips and drills and pro reads where they break down plays and just kind of let you see how they think the game and what they do to try and get better so that the rest of us can, uh, well, I mean, for the young kids, they can actually do it for us old guys. It's just a cheap imitation, but we get to try. I mean, look, I'm a young guy. I'm 20 and, uh, I already have bad hips, so I'm sure you're doing better than me. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd take you in in beer league uh, more than I'd take myself. Um, I, I mean, I started late, so that's the only reason I don't have bad hips already. Is I didn't. I'm 48 now, and I didn't start playing goal till I was in my mid 30s, which surprises some people, given like you said the goalie whisperer thing. But um, I came to it a little late, and I'm pretty sure that's the only reason that my hips still function at a you know somewhat reasonable level is because I, I didn't play at a young age. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I started at 16, and um, that's not an old age, but it's also not, you know, so people are starting at four or five, so. 
you know, doing better than me. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, I mean, most simply, and and for the naming purposes of this podcast, what got you into uh, the media side of things? What was your your journey like into the media side of hockey? Um, oh, this is gonna. We'll try and make a long story short. But if you've ever heard me on other, whether it's podcasts, our own podcast, they didn't go. That's not what I'm good at. So, um, I was a computer science and statistics double major at the University of British Columbia. I was about three years into that. I was pretty directionless. For those old enough to remember the movie Jerry Maguire, it's that breakdown slash breakthrough. We'll call it a breakthrough. I quit school, worked at a paper mill for a year. Just when the regulars there were starting to tell me I was going to be a lifer, I quit that, got in my car, and drove to every Major League Baseball park in the United States over the course of a summer. Pretty much living in my car, living on couches of guys that I'd played baseball with. That was my sport growing up. A bunch of friends had gone on to play college and junior college in the States, and so I was staying with them. And um, Wrigley Field uh, in Chicago, the, the, the famous Wrigley Field, Spent the weekend there, um, had a really good time uh, out with the Bleacher Bums, uh, jeering Barry Bonds for an afternoon on, I think it was a Sunday. Met Ferguson Jenkins, who was the pitching coach of the Cubs, the only Canadian in the, the Baseball Hall of Fame up until Larry Walker this summer. And also met a guy who covered the Cubs for a living. And this little light bulb went off. And I actually applied for, to journalism school um, from Chicago. Like I had a buddy that was at University of Victoria, which is where I went to school, ha- sort of get me the information because this is sort of, um, you know, we weren't quite at the, the age of the internet we are now. And I actually had to get a bunch of stuff printed out and actually m- mailed an application from Chicago. And by the time I finished my trip and got back home, um, I'd gotten in and I guess the rest is history. So I went to journalism school, like uh, a lot of places, volunteered, did everything from calling radio play-by-play for the university team to writing, sports editing, all that kind of stuff at the school newspaper. And uh, was lucky enough to, through connections, met a lot of different people um, and got to sort of meet the people that covered the Canucks and the Grizzlies for the Associated Press and his name actually was John Morrow. I shouldn't say the people. It was John Morrow, one guy who now works in Buffalo for the AP. And when he left Vancouver to Buffalo, which, by the way, is a promotion in the AP's world because they have NFL, I don't think it's a promotion any other way, with all apologies to Buffalo. Um, It was just basically he left behind a a freelance gig. It wasn't really a full-time job anymore. And believe it or not, there was a lineup of people to cover the Vancouver Grizzlies to take that side of the beat for him. Nobody wanted to touch the Canucks. I still hadn't even finished journalism school. I had one more term to go. And I came over, did a sample game. He liked, I, I did okay. I don't know that it was like, nobody's winning any Pulitzers writing for The Wire. But I, I managed to handle myself. I, I didn't make any mistakes. And I ended up getting the gig. So that was that's how I got started. And like I said, from there, I just tried to, you know, make as many relationships, build as many relationships as I could and started freelancing all over the place. So yeah, that's how I got into it. It started with baseball. It started with a very long road trip and ended up covering hockey for the last 20 years. I mean, you sort of, uh, this is ha- it happens more often than we think. People sort of just fall into these positions almost. Um, and then, you know, you build from there and you work from there. But was there a point in your journey where you sort of took a step back and went, yeah, this is this is for me, this is where I'm supposed to be? Uh, while, you know, working in hockey media. Yeah, you know what? Um, It was actually probably before hockey um, and before I got the job covering the Canucks, just in terms of journalism in general. um, It probably started at school. And I think if anybody's ever gone to, like whether it's university or college or whatever, and and, I mean, you you don't want to do this, but if you've ever gone for the sake of going, like I, I went at the beginning at UBC because I had good grades and that's what you do, but I didn't have any direction. And I didn't really, outside of intramurals and some close friends I met there, I didn't really have a lot of passion. I was just going through the motions. And it wasn't until sort of quitting that and, and coming to UVic and starting journalism, which I, I mean, I, did, I guess I didn't know I would love it, but I just got involved in everything. Like I, I you know, with the teams, like I said, I mean, I'm not a broadcast guy yet. I did, you know, play by play for the basketball team and went to national championships uh, and covered that. 
just all kinds of things. And so I guess when you find something you enjoy uh, and have a passion for, you kind of, you just know it. It's no longer a job. You're no longer chasing it because you need to find a job or a career. It's just what you love and it becomes that career. And so right into, before I got the job covering the Canucks, I would say, uh, you know, I spent six months um, first in on a like, you know, co-op program and then, you know, part-time while I was going to school working at a community newspaper on Vancouver Island. And so, you know, even that, whether it was covering junior B hockey or municipal politics, which there were moments where I could have done without the latter, but it was, it was the fact you were meeting different people every day and telling different people's stories every day. And I loved that. And so you lose that a little bit when you're covering that one team or one league and the way we do in a beat right now. But for me, goaltending has kind of filled that because I get to know and I guess build relationships or try to build relationships with all the other guys that the guys are coming through with the road teams. And I think a big part of what I've been able to do with goaltending isn't so much about learning the position and about the position as building relationships with the people that really know it and understand it and building enough trust that they're willing to sort of share with me those insights so that I can share that with my readers. And so, yeah, I guess I probably started in, as, as much as I'd love to say there was an aha moment covering hockey or, or switching to sort of focusing on goaltending. It really was just, you know, an immediate love for the idea of journalism, even if I ended up in the candy store of journalism covering sports. Uh, you, uh, you touched on it before. You, you were a baseball kid growing up. Um, and you know, hockey was sort of later. Uh, obviously, we both love hockey now. You're a successful writer and analyst. I'm some guy, but we both love the sport. Um, what What was your hockey upbringing, if you had one? What got you into the game? Didn't you know? Uh, had choices to make as a kid. Uh, my parents uh, gave me choices on how many. Like, like I. It was not like they said you can't play hockey. It was. You know, it was kind of, and I can't remember exactly what it was. It was between hockey and something else. And it wasn't just baseball at that point. It was younger. It was, it may have been, uh, you know, hockey's an expensive sport too, right? It may have, may have been like baseball and soccer and something. I just can't remember what it was, but I chose the others, right? And I was just simply, um, I didn't, I, I played hockey with friends, like street hockey, road hockey, like everyone else, you know, scoring the game-winning goal and or making the, the you know, the clutch save late in somebody's driveway with just, you know, wooden sticks and, you know, baseball mitts as gloves in goal and those stupid little orange balls that left wicked marks everywhere. Um, but just never got it. I never got involved in ice hockey. And I played in university a little bit, started playing pickup, but not as a goalie. And where the passion for goaltending came from was I was probably about four years in covering the Canucks for the AP and all the other freelance stuff when the goalie coach at the time, who just happens to now be the goalie coach again, it's his second go around with the team, Ian Clark, asked me if I would consider editing a magazine he was working on. And it was called The Goalie News and it was an old newsprint style magazine. And he just, he had a ton of teaching content. And if, if you're... If you know Ian Clark, he's one of the sort of premier um, teachers, like concept development. Uh, when he writes and and teaches the position, like it's 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 really detailed. Um, it can be a lot to work your way through when he writes because it's thousands of words quite often. But when you when you finish it, it's much like when he works with his goaltenders. It's not just, hey, this is how we do it, so you do it this way. It's here's a complete explanation of how it works and this is why this would be the best way to attack it whether it's you know angle over depth when pushing like concepts like that so you when you finished reading it you understood it my job was in part to edit it down so it was more manageable chunks to read and then just to provide um content around that uh you know like 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 q a's or feature articles my first one actually as I look up to the corner of my office, um, over to my right shoulder here is my vi- the very first issue of the goalie news because he used to have a different one. It was called uh, From the Crease, and it was more of a goaltending manual that he published. Oh. He wanted to turn it into more of an editorial and goaltending manual, and so Goalie News was born. Like I said, newsprint. The first one is Roberto Luongo. I think the headline is you know Vesna Trophy question mark once considered a top prospect now a superstar. 
and that was the first article I wrote, and that's how I, that's how the relationship with Roberto started. I ended up talking to him a couple times a year long before he ever arrived in Vancouver. That was I think 0304 in in Florida, and so that combination of writing about the position, reading and editing all this instructional material allowed me to learn the game from a technical aspect. And it opened up a world of conversations with goaltenders that I never dreamt of before. Um, Like a lot of media, it would be like good goal, bad goal, you know, like judging and our writing, but no real understanding of what the goalie was trying to do. And I think that that opened my eyes. Like you can't really judge a goaltender on how he executed a save unless you know what he was trying to do, like what he was reading, what he was seeing, why he did it that way. And so having those conversations, I had a lot of goalies. I was annoying too. I still am. Ask a lot of questions <laughs> of these guys. But I've had a lot of guys say, hey, at least you're asking, right? And back then, nobody, you know, especially 04, 05, like no, like, Things like proper leg recovery out of the butterfly, like nobody was even on my end of things was analyzing that type of stuff. Nobody was asking those questions. So all of a sudden you're speaking the language to these guys that they know and they just opened up. And so the relationships were built and it didn't take long before I was like, hey, you know what? I got to play this position. I got to try this. Now, part two is we just had our first child, my daughter, Madeline, who is now 17 and getting ready for university. So again, I'm old. Um, but I would like, I, I call it a sympathy pregnancy. Um, so I put on, I put on 50 pounds when uh. my wife was pregnant with my daughter. And uh, unlike her, she stayed in shape. I did not. We just moved to the suburbs. I'd lost my regular sort of pickup basketball game because we'd moved out away and work was busy and we were eating out a lot and she would order a lot because she was pregnant and like wanted everything on the menu and I would finish it all. So that combination of needing to drop 50 pounds, falling in love with writing about the position and wanting to try it sort of led me into goal. And I quickly realized that it's not a position that you just go into without being in shape. So the 50 pounds disappeared quickly um, because being a goaltender, like the old days they used to say, make the jokes about throwing the fat kid in net. Uh, the goaltender is now the best conditioned athlete on the team and has been for a while. And so um, I'd like to say that it actually has helped keep me a little bit young, despite the pain in the hips. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, you say the, the goaltender is the best toned athlete on the team. I, uh, I am the exception of the rule, my friend. I, uh, <laughs> I say that I actually haven't been able to play for a couple months because rinks have been closed here, but uh, things are opening up again finally. So, um, yeah, no, I, I understand with a lot of hockey people who have a, a lifelong, not necessarily a lifelong fandom, but, you know, you're involved in the game. Um, there's there's a formative moment, you know, usually in their childhood. It might, for me, it was my teenage years and few, it might be even later. Um, I say teenage years for me, like that wasn't last year. Um, but in the <laughs> early stages of hockey fandom, uh, there's a moment that defines the game for them. Uh, Mikey Stevens, who I had on a while ago uh, of the Hockey News, says it was Matt Sundin's 500th goal that he saw on TV. Uh, do you have a moment that stands out to you like that? I know Harmon Dial as well said it was the, the 2011 run um, for the Canucks. Is there something that jumps out to you as uh, specifically that formative moment? Yeah, you know, what? Pro- there's probably a couple, and it would be from covering it. Um, it's interesting because this is the thing, Alex. Like in terms of playing the game, like – I will maybe get moments, and I think this is like, I worry about when I can't play anymore, whether I'll have any interest in doing in goal. Because sort of, I will just randomly, if I haven't played in a while, maybe there's an injury, or like you said, we've had some moments where we've been shut down for a while. Just There are some guys that I would just watch them play, and it just made me want to get in there and, and play again. Even though how they move is nothing how like I move. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I know that I look nothing like them, but it just makes me makes me want to play. And and I think the first guy that sort of really made me feel that way was watching Roberto Luongo. And so I think some of my biggest moments would probably be I got to cover the 2010 Olympics for the Associated Press. So I watched every game from eight rows up. Um, that's the beautiful part about the Olympics where they don't put you up in the fifth level press box. That's for like the VIPs and the the fancy people. They put the media like right at center ice, like eight rows up from the, from the penalty box. It was amazing. Watched every game from there. 
Um, so him winning the gold medal and having built a relationship there and getting to have that conversation after the game and knowing what it meant to him, that was definitely one of them. Um, and then the flip side of that was when the Canucks lost in 2011 and having to be in the room and ask questions as people you covered objectively, but had learned to admire, um, as people like, Roberto, like the Sidine twins, were having to try and explain after this most painful moment, like what the emotions they were going through. And then juxtaposing that to two minutes later, after getting my quotes out of that room, being on the ice with Tim Thomas, who, you know, we had built quite a good relationship with at, in- at Ingle Magazine as well. We'd actually done some charity benefit work with masks, like worked directly with this painter and with Tim for like, um, Movember masks that he wore for, for and, and we raised money with and done a lot of good things with him. I know people's impression of him changed later in his career, but he was really good to us and he was a really good person to deal with with us. So the juxtaposition of the pain of Roberto and then five minutes later being on the ice and the joy that Tim Thomas was experiencing, not just from a goaltender perspective but from a career perspective because you had to detach yourself from both or there's no way you could be back up in the press box a few minutes later trying to write a thousand words in in 30 minutes on deadline right Mm. so um yeah from a from a sort of joy of playing perspective probably the gold medal from a reality check of and those were those events were you know like like just over a year apart from a reality check of of job and and sort of understanding what it took to to sort of having be detached like that, it was probably that after that cup final. So both are moments that uh, stand out for me for sure. Speaking of being detached, I, I ask this as much as I can, and I do get a similar answer. Um, when when you become uh, you know fo- you when you follow the team and you start seeing how the sausage is made, uh, as, as Elliot Friedman would put it, you sort of people tend to lose their fandom. Uh, I know uh, Julian McKenzie spoke about how when he started writing, he, he lost his fandom for the Canucks, and then. It was just blow after blow, you know, certain things happened within the team and he would sort of lose touch with his fandom. Do you think, uh, obviously, you know, the Canucks, again, you sort of just, I don't want to say fell into it because then it seems like you didn't earn it, but you sort of were... Oh, no. I was a fan too. Like, I as a kid, even though I wasn't a hockey playing minor hockey, like, you know, I'm... I'm told that when they lost in 1982, I cried. Like, I don't remember because <laughs> not only was I only nine, nine years old at the time, but I've taken too many pucks to the head since then. But my parents tell me I cried when they lost you know, to the Islanders in the mm-hmm. cup final in 82. I'm also told I cried once when I got to a game and it was Richard Brodeur instead of Glenn Hanlon starting. So I definitely had that fan aspect in me at one point. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, uh, do you think you've lost your fandom? uh since and you know now that you cover it and you see sort of yeah like i was saying uh how the sausage is made Uh, yeah i i mean i don't think it's because of anything like i don't think it's the like i don't think it's anything behind the scenes that Mm -hmm. has had me not love the game or not love certain teams um i don't think it's that like it's not because of the sausage being made that i don't it's because of that moment in 2011 that and that realization that if I am attached to the results as a passionate fan in a, or in any way, even, even, even as just a little bit of a fan, if I'm attached to the results, there's no way I can do my job on deadline properly. Like if I'm not able to sort of be unemotional in the face of all that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I'd covered a couple cup finals. So it was easier in those ones. Um, first one I did was, uh, Calgary, Tampa and 04 for USA today. And then again, after the lockout in 06, Edmonton, Carolina, I was on the Canadian end of those cup finals. And so it was easier to be detached in those moments because those weren't teams I grew up, you know, rooting for. Um, but I realized that I, if I had remained too attached, I would never be able to perform that way just in terms of you've got a job to do and you only have so much time to do it. You don't get to go home and process it and deal with it and then write the next day. Everything mm-hmm. is right now when you're writing for a wire service or now for NHL.com. So uh, I think it's more about that. I will say this, like um, I don't think, and I don't know if this applies to everyone, but I've passed this along. I've, I've used this a couple different times. Um, with, with athletes who I've gotten to know when they go on to big moments, um, like 
like when this when when the LA Kings won uh their first Stanley Cup with Willie Mitchell there I sent a text to him after like and just kind of said and, and this is how I think about it best now is you know when you're in this business you no longer te- cheer for teams you cheer for stories and you cheer for good people and I was it, it, happy to the point of almost being emotional for Willie when I saw him get to raise the Stanley cup. Cause I knew what he'd been through from a, you know, with some concussion issues and things like that here. And I knew what a good person he was. And I cheered, I was cheering for him on both levels as a good story coming back and finally winning a cup, but also just as a good person. So I think that's how I put it. We don't, I don't think you can afford to cheer for teams um, because you get too attached and maybe you do get upset when you don't like how the sausage is made. Uh, but we do cheer for for good people and good stories, especially good stories. Let's uh, let's talk goalie for a bit. Uh, you know they, they've they've been on a, a bit of a run recently, and they did lose tonight. But the Oilers do have a goalie problem. I know you're a Mike Smith believer. Why? Um, and I should ca- this should come with a the caveat is that I be like, it started last year. And it's not so much that I'm a Mike Smith career believer or anything like that. It's just that I know specifically what Mike Smith did last year to change his stance, the mechanics of his movement. I know the work that went into his offseason two years ago that led to the success of last year. I knew the signs to look for. I even I have a weekly hit on Edmonton Radio, and when I talked to them about the different the changes he'd made with his trainer, uh, changing his trainer to new voice, that if it was going to work, if he had bought in and this was really going to manifest itself in a positive direction, all you had to do, all you had to look for was, was he ending up flop forward on his belly, face down on the ice? We used to call it the Luongo flop, where you reach with your leg and you know as a goalie, like once you get to the max end point, if, if you extend in a butterfly, and you, there's no more reach. Like mm-hmm. it's a, your your next counterbalance is to fall forward, and that allows you to stick your leg out further. It's even taught on breakaways. Like if you're down and out on a breakaway, you've got your leg stuck out as far as you can, and the guy's still going around you, need an extra like five inches of extension. Allow your torso to pitch forward, and your leg, like your hip, releases, and you can stick your leg out further. Like we teach that at some levels. Um, and but the problem with Mike is he, the way he moved put him in that position too early, too often. And he ended up doing what we call the loop flop. And so, um, lo and behold, last season, you didn't see it. He wasn't pitched forward all the time. He was balanced. He was over his knees. Um, his movement was controlled intact. One piece. He had early rotation, top down, head down rotation that allowed him to move in a way that kept him over his edges and over his knees. Now, Mike Smith is a massive goaltender who plays deep. If he doesn't get off balance, like he used to, there's a lot of tools there. He's got great hands. Like, so having that foundation changed, I believed would allow him to have success. And it did. And when I saw him in the summer, uh, when, and I should say this past summer, other people that I work with saw him because of the pandemic, I wasn't able to go. But people at the camp were like, because now he'd had a whole year. He'd had, a, he'd had the summer before, he'd had a season of positive reinforcement, and so he dug back into it even more the second summer. And there were people in the goalie community that were on the ice at a camp with him that weren't necessarily Mike Smith fans that were like, oh my God, it's a different goalie. And so I, what I, it's not like this is a career work, I've always been a Mike Smith guy. This was very much a, know the, knowing the process, I didn't see last year as a fluke. I saw it as a result of a foundational, fundamental change in his game. And maybe maybe that knowledge gets in my way a little bit because you feel like, well, everyone's going, well, you can't expect him to repeat. He's 38 years old, his first good season in 12. I'm like, no, 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 you guys are just talking about stats. I, let's take a look at why it happened, and it very much is repeatable. And I still, maybe it's me being stubborn and double down, doubling down on my take, um, but I still believe it is. The problem is, and this is where maybe, I, although I do believe I added the caveat in the preseason on the Edmonton show, it all depends on can he stay healthy. 
And clearly that hasn't happened. And now it's going to be even harder for all the other stuff to stick because all the work he's had to do in the meantime is just trying to get himself healthy again as opposed to being focused on, you know, reinforcing all these changes he's made in his movement. So Father Time is undefeated. Perhaps I should have been a little more cognizant of that fact. But I do believe, I know, frankly, that the changes he made were you know, should have been and would have been and are very much repeatable because it wasn't just a one-year blip based on him getting on a heater. It was based on changes that were very um, traceable, very sort of you could observe them, you could see them in real time play out last season, and they went the way they were supposed to go. So to think there would be a step back from that if he'd stayed healthy just didn't make sense to me just because, oh, he'd only done it once. There was a reason he did it once after all those years of inconsistency, and that reason was repeatable. I mean, speaking of, of Father Time being undefeated, there's a lot of rumours of uh, the Oilers going for, for Marc-Andre Fleury. He's, he's the obvious choice, and that's, uh, like I was saying, where the rumours are, are leading what about the not so obvious choice? Um, I think I remember hearing you on the the PDO cast not too long ago. You were great on that, by the way. I love Dimitri. Um, He's awesome, uh, lovely guy. He doesn't respond to my DMs anymore. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm a big believer in trying to pluck one of the Bruins goaltenders. But what would you think from a, from a goalie's perspective is the less popular choice that might still work out for Edmonton? Well, I I still don't think it's going to work out, but the I, I am on the Marc-Andre Fleury train just because, you know, the Oilers are sort of uh, an attacking team that isn't great defensively. And actually, I think that, like, it's interesting because over the last few weeks, there was a point there for a couple of weeks where they tried to become a great defensive team, and it was at the expense of their attack. Mm-hmm. And they still gave up goals. I think you're better to just play to your strengths, which in their case is to be a middling defensive team and just create a ton of expected goals for with, with, with the dynamic forwards they have. And so Marc-Andre Fleury fits that. Like that, like I think people don't realize how porous Vegas was, how many great chances Vegas gave up last year, and he just bailed them out. Like I just think from a systems, man, I shouldn't go as far as systems, but from a style of play perspective, um, not every goalie can play behind every system. So we hear Washington Capitals are interested in Marc-Andre Fleury. The Capitals have been for two years now a great defensive team under Peter Laviolette. They've gotten just slightly above expected goaltending from Vitek Vanacek and a lot of inconsistency from Ilya Samsonov. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury statistically and by all measures would be an upgrade. But it's been a while since we've seen Marc-Andre Fleury behind a good defensive team that doesn't keep him busy and active and engaged. And so I see Edmonton, because they're actually porous defensively, as a great fit. Now, other guys that fit the bill the same way, that's a, that's, that's a little bit tougher. Like, he's such a perfect fit that I have trouble seeing past it. Um, which Bruins goalie are you thinking? Um, well, you know, they have three. Um, reasonable options, but I don't think Tuke's going anywhere. Um, right, he's not leaving. My my thought was uh, Swayman. I think I get Swayman and you know, something. I get Swayman and Vladar confused because they were on the team last year. Um, right, right. Swayman or Elmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be I, the I, two. Because I, I remember Elmark performed really well in Buffalo. Um, even when yeah, it might be really well. Um, but relative to the team, you're right. He was excellent yeah, in Buffalo. And, and they weren't defensive stalwarts uh, by any means, so that's that's where I went to. But um, that's not a bad. That's actually not a. That's actually not a bad spot. Um, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I don't know that the Oilers want to want to take on that contract at, at four year, you know, with the, with with five million a year, or if they even can with their cap situation, every other position. Because a lot of people also miss is. You know, Mike Smith's on a bargain ticket, right? That's one of the reasons they went there is because they could get him to come back for cheap. Although I guess with Koskinen's contract coming off the books next year, you could, you know, so I, I'm a Linus. I believe in Linus Elmark as well. And you're right. That's, that might be a really good fit. I'd want to look into the types of chances a little deeper to see if there's a match, but that's actually a really good call by you as a goalie who has had success behind a relatively poor defensive team and, and might be a, you know, might be a great fit in Edmonton. Um, you know, to me, some of the other ones that you look at are, you know, probably, you know, more of the, there's a little more hope involved. Like, can you find any year where we've had goaltenders, you know, more goaltenders than ever before playing a single season? There have been some guys that have taken that opportunity and really run with it. 
uh, Spencer Martin here in Vancouver, you know, waits five years to get another NHL shot and goes, wins his first NHL game the other night, lost the other two in overtime in a shootout. So he's like 1 0 and 2, but with a 958 save percentage in three NHL games. And like, I know he works with Andy Kyoto, who also works with Jordan Binnington. And so you look at the late bloomers. Can, can we find the next Jordan Binnington? I don't know that Spencer Martin would fit the Oilers, but Charlie Lindgren, another guy who was sort of highly touted, undrafted, but highly touted out of college, multiple teams pursuing him, six years with Montreal, barely got to play, never got into a game last season, changes a couple things. There's that old, you know, goalies take longer. I think it's just sometimes goalies need to bounce around a little bit to combine all the different voices and pieces and approaches to until they find something that really clicks with them. Charlie Lindgren changes how he plays rushes, and it fuels uh, a new positional approach, everything else in his game. 5-0-0 and five starts with a 9, again, I think a 9.58 save percentage. Those are riskier moves. Those are bigger gambles. Those are less certain, um, especially because, uh, you know, you're not all those teams have have the defensive environment Edmonton does, although St. Louis is actually worse. I just, you know, it's tough. Like, what does that do to a Stuart Skinner if you're going to the AHL to try and find someone and hope to catch lightning in a bottle? Uh, I think you're better to actually go and invest in number one, go find a number one. But like you said, that's a pretty short list of guys that would actually be a guaranteed upgrade, and which is also why I think their easiest solution is just to hope that Mike Smith can get healthy and fu- and, and just get enough games under his belt, I'd send him to the AHL, frankly, on a conditioning snip, but get enough games under his belt to feel like he did last season and give them that level of goaltending. Because I think they need elite goaltending, and the list of guys that can give them that is that you can actually go and get is pretty darn short. I, I want you to know that when you said that was a good call from me uh, with Linus Olmark, that is arguably the greatest compliment I've ever received. So uh, I'm ne- that's uh, I might get that tattooed on my body. That was a good call from you. It's directly Clip over it. my chest. <laughs> Clip it. That's what they say. Clip that one. Um, I want to talk about in goal. Uh, you know, magazine radio, every piece of uh, coverage you guys tout. My experience with pro sports um, prior to getting onto you guys was everything felt really distant and more so with goalies. You know, I would listen to to 32 Thoughts, every other podcast, whatever, and and personable content would be really hard to come by. And you'd get dry interviews from players, and every so often they'd offer crumbs of goaltender content. Uh, But then I discovered you guys, and it was like you guys had every goalie uh, to ever strap up in the NHL on the podcast or or on Pro Reads, and um, it was just somewhere you had spoken to them about the weird little goalie things uh, all goalies care about. What's it What's it been like to become the home for goaltender content? And how do you think you've fostered that environment for, I mean, is it over a decade now um, with InGoal? Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about, we started 2010 Olympics actually. It was the first time me and David Hutchison sort of worked together and, and, and tried to make this something different. Um, on, like, honestly, I think, jeez, uh, Alex, I think it's just, I think it's just the same thing I talked about, like like being willing to speak their language, like having conversations. And there's more people in the media that do this now, but asking questions um, that nobody else was asking at the time and building those relationships and building that reputation as somebody who wanted to learn and was willing to listen and was willing to ask specific questions, always with the caveat. And we have to sort of throw this out there, especially when we're doing pro reads, like, listen, like, some guys, some stuff is state secrets. Like some stuff, you know, teams or goalie coaches do differently and they don't want to share. Um, you know, I had one quite famous goalie coach tell me once, you know, like every time I share something with you guys, I got to, you know, if I share too much, I got to go find myself another sort of aspect that becomes my advantage because I've given away my one of my advantages, one of my tools. And my response to them actually at the time was they were just moving into a big market from a small market. And I'm like, the way the way media is going and the way the media covers that team, like everybody else is going to see this drill eventually. Like that you're not going to be able to keep it a secret because people are going to be paying attention to the goalie session that you do before practice like they didn't before. And so um 
sometimes it's it's a matter of sort of convincing them that take ownership of it now before somebody else just sees it and steals it. Like like claim this is your own. So we try and walk that line. We always err on the side of if you guys don't want to if you don't want to talk about how you play a certain situation, whether it's pro reads or a change you've made in your game, like we just won't go there. Um, we just talk goaltending, right? Like at heart, they're all. They may not want to call themselves goalie geeks, but they're all kind of goalie. <laughs> like, you know, whether it's the gear for some, for others, it's a technical spot. There are some that just, like Alex said, just don't. Like, they just don't want to. You learn pretty quickly the ones that, you know, you you would never even try to have on a podcast. It's not that they're bad guys. They just don't think of the game at those in those ways. They just mm-hmm. go out and play. Or they don't want to talk about it. Like they just, you know, I know a goalie who's having a really good season this year. And I don't want to name names, but you don't need to be a rocket scientist in terms of watching goaltending to see the changes, the very specific changes that he's made. And they're fueling a lot of success in a bounce back year. Um, I know the goalie coach involved. And so when I bounce those, uh, what I'm seeing off of him, he confirms it. Well, when the goalie came through town and you ask him about those changes, he looked at you like, you had two heads and he didn't even understand the concept you were talking about, let alone trying to put it in his game when the video video never lies, right? You can see it. There's no point pushing, right? There's no point in like, no, no, I see this and I know this is happening. There's really just no point because it isn't about, it's not about being right. It's, it's about building relationships. And that's kind of, I think that's the approach. And maybe working for the NHL has made that easier. Not a scoop guy. I don't have to worry about getting scoops. You know what happens when you don't have to worry about getting scoops and you're not running to the internet with every scoop you get? People share stuff with you <laughs> because they know it's, you know what I mean? So it just, it makes it easier to build relationships. And that's what InGoal has been all about. And so it's whether, whether it's because they, they've heard of it. We're now at the point, Alex, where we've got guys that come into the league and they grew up with InGoal a little bit. Not all of them. Some of them haven't heard of it. And we introduce it to them. Some of them think it's really cool and they want to be involved, especially pro reads helps kids. But we've got guys now that are in the league that were like, I read your magazine when I was looking for goalie equipment and I needed to know which brand to choose and what type of pad. And so I think it just all sort of, they know that everybody else that's talked to us had that trust to open up and, you know, Pecorino the other day uh, on our couple episodes ago, like we spent 40 minutes with him, right? Like just like, the willingness to give us that time because they know we're as invested in the position as they have been throughout their careers. I think that just, you put good things out there and good things come back to you and knock on wood. There's so many good guys in this game that, that love the position as much as we do and have been willing to spend that time. I I consider myself pretty blessed um, to get to be that conduit with them. Speaking of, uh, of uh, goalies coming up, reading uh, in goal, I, I, I'm part of that group. Uh, Obviously I'm not, uh, awesome. NHL level, but uh, you can see my gear behind me. Um, I know I've been admiring that nice Bauer <laughs> Supreme chesty over your shoulder. It's uh, yeah, it's it's you know when I'm actually playing, this is a very smelly room. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's that, and there's also an article from 2010 I w- when I was 10. Uh, actually, would have been nine. It might have been. It might have come out in 2011. It's how to photograph uh, your your local rink, and it's a a very very old article. And it's not, I couldn't find it linked anywhere on the current um, page. It's not, it's redesigned. on the archive site somewhere. Yeah. yeah, we should probably put that up. That's a good call. It's um, that, you know, my, I don't know, you probably wouldn't know this, but my whole gig is, uh, is you know, hockey visual media. I do um, videos for some, you know, local uh, training organizations and, and that sort of thing. And so that was a very early helper into what is, uh, will hopefully be uh, a, a bigger career for me. So uh, from that's awesome. Level. That was Scott Slingsby, I think, was the photographer behind that. Although we did have one other from Chicago that did. Scott, when we were starting out, was a freelancer too. Like, and I think like a lot of people, you know, that have been involved in Name Goal, a lot of people have other gigs. The difference is my other gig is covering hockey as well. Mm-hmm. But like Scott was a pilot. Like Scott flies charter. <laughs> charter flights but also has passion about photography and that to me that's the passion coming through there Mm -hmm. like 
you know, we gave him opportunity to shoot a lot, lot of AHL rinks, but then also the Bruins because they could see the quality of his work allowed him in. And so we got photography, like really goalie specific photography from Scott. But then the passion for what he was doing comes through in that willingness to write those articles so that he could share it with other people. And so I am, you know, he hasn't worked for us for a while. He's, he's busy with life and other things and, and the day job, so to speak. Um, and it's become more difficult in the pandemic for accreditation and things like that. But I'm I'm digging up the email and passing that along for sure because he'll get a he'll get a real kick out of that. And to me, that's all part of just trying to be sort of you know a pay it forward mentality, like just everybody sharing their passion. Well, uh, if you guys ever need uh, any Australian ice hockey photography or, or videos, <laughs> you, you have my Twitter now, so you're all set. Hundred um, percent. I know probably more than most people uh, what it's like to, to care about a niche because I'm running a podcast based in Australia about the media side of ice hockey. Um, <laughs> what, what, and you mentioned it before. What do you enjoy about being a part of the goaltending niche and being the goalie's goalie um, per se? Uh, I love all the conversations. I love the access because I get to go into the rooms and have those conversations. I miss the hell out of that right now because of the pandemic. Um, it's been really hard. I shouldn't say hard because that sounds like a complaint. It's been more challenging. Uh, like the goalie column at NHL.com used to be weekly. And now it's bi-weekly largely because it's just like, it's just hard to get ideas. It's hard to get access. I got my, ideas by being in the room talking to guys right like you didn't go in there looking for a story sometimes you saw a trend so you had a concept you went in there and talked about them and it would pan out but most of the time it was just you know after a practice or after a game day skate and that was always the challenge game day skates a lot of goalies don't talk on game days starting goalie but the backup does and they're usually out there late and so I'd be like the only guy in the media when the visiting team's coming through that actually would stick around and pain in the ass for the PR guys because they have to stick around till the rooms close and I'd be like I kind of really want to talk to your backup goalie and they look at you like who talks to the backup goalie on a game day and I'm like I do and but those are just sitting there after and you you bounce things off them some of them become stories but you just get to talk to them and know them and you're speaking about their position and their language and their passion and a lot of the times you would get ideas that you went in there having no idea about. Um, you know, some of my favorite stories are thing other the other times is there's some of my favorite stories, some of the stories I've had the most success with, I should say, the ones that really seem to resonate with people. Um, I always force for the trees it a little bit. I forget about the things that we as goalies take for granted and just assume everyone knows. And they don't, right? And so, like, you've probably smelt burning rubber from a shot off the head in the past, right? You know that's just life of a goalie stuff. Yep. I, yep. I, I had I had a bunch of, like, I had guys sharing, like, I was curious how, how often it happens at the NHL level. Because, like, you know, for you and me, it probably isn't, I might get it once a season where someone gets me with enough velocity and at the right spin and angle that it smells like I'm in like dudes like, you know, 79 Firebird in the parking lot doing burnouts, just pure, you know, pure burnt rubber. Um, but, you know, NHL goalies experience that all the time. And I remember when I wrote that story, honest to God, it was a throwaway. It was like one of those things you just banked for a week where you didn't have another column idea and you're like, ah, this this will get me through. And it was like it resonated because people couldn't believe it. Um, so when you get to share that, I think even the goalies themselves were surprised at how like much attention it got. And now they, other people ask the question because that's a big part of their life. And it's something that sort of shows you how hard these shots are coming, that it's actually leaving enough rubber behind on their jerseys, on their, you know, collarbones, on their mask to create that smell. And nobody ever knew it. And I don't think they ever thought to tell anyone because much like me, they just assumed everybody knew. So getting to be again that conduit for those conversations and sometimes to take them in the mainstream sometimes to take them just to other goalies like you know how are you reading a two-on-one or a three-on-two how should you play it what cues do you look for again they're the experts and to be the guy that gets to ask the questions and take their knowledge and relay it to other goalies or at nhl a broader audience like what an honor right what a privilege and that's, you know, that's 
that's the part I love the most is just being the guy that gets to have those conversations. You know, in some cases with these incredible, like world-class athletes, like it's sometimes it's in the American League. It's not always going to be Henrik Lundqvist, right? But when it is Henrik Lundqvist and you have a conversation where there's, you can tell it's, a, it's not just an interview. There's a little bit of back and forth. You're just, you just sit there afterwards and you're like, how cool is that? Like, that's cool. There's a little fanboy there still, right? Like just not, not in a worship standpoint, but just like, Hey man, my day job is to get to talk goaltending with some of the best in the world at it. And that is pretty cool. You're living the dream. I, I remember uh, not too long ago, it might've been Robin Leonard, but I also might be conflating this with the massive uh, dent in his cage the other day from, uh, from Ovi. <laughs> uh, a puck ripped through a jersey just from how hot it was coming in. And um, I remember that sort of just touching on what you were talking about before, the that burning rubber. My, my goalie mask is currently broken because uh, I took a shot to the clip um, that holds the strap on and... Um, I'm upset about it because that means I have to buy a bunch of new clips, which is fine. Just empty out the bank account because every uh, piece of uh, ice hockey gear in Australia is twice as expensive as anywhere else. I was going to ask. I was going to say I could send you some clips, but I'm guessing it would cost me the price of a whole mask just to send them to you all the way down there. I need to like find somebody who flies there on the regular and slip, some, slip goalie parts into their luggage for you. I, uh, I remember when I was in, in Canada in uh, early 2020, um, you know, when people could travel internationally, I bought a, uh, a butt ends, uh, goalie grip yep. and best, best thing I've ever received because it was just like, A, it was, and I'm not exaggerating four times cheaper over there than, than it was in Australia. And I, I don't want to slander the, the local hockey store too much. Um, I say local, it's a, it's a 45 minute drive away to the closest one. Um, but Man, it's it's tough buying buying new anything is uh you know, you can you could do it somewhat often in in Canada and where things are selling second hand. If you see something second hand ice hockey related, it's gone immediately because everyone needs something. Um so uh I love you skaters network. You you guys are great. <laughs> but um, it's expensive. Uh, it's it well and it's an expensive position to start with right so i was gonna say too that i've when i wrote the the uh, burning rubber story i had one of those as well it was alex ald who told me about when he was with the montreal canadians the trainers pulling him into the room the next day and he had smelt it the night before and sure enough it had actually burnt a hole clean through his jersey a shot up around off the shoulder blade and there was an actual hole in the jersey with burn marks around it so it happens it's uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, I'm playing a uh, Div Four senior hockey, uh, and uh, I'm still taking a couple dingers. So, anyway, coming back to goaltenders, um, you know, stick handling is more prevalent in in goaltenders today, um, within reason. And we know, you know, certain goalies have amazing edges in skating, and we know how much you like to talk about uh, Igor Shostyukin's wonderful butterfly edge movement. They're also insane athletes in general. Um, my question for you, and I don't think there's a person more qualified to answer this, which five goalies would perform best playing outside the crease? And if, uh, if, you know, if they had to fill in as a skater, and which player would perform best as a goalie? So on the first one, like, they're, like I kind of divide this. My first thought was to go with the guys that handle the puck the best, right? Like, and I think there are some underrated ones. Like Mike Smith obviously handles the puck as well as anyone. Uh, can fire it as well as anyone, but also makes a lot of smart plays he doesn't get credit for. Uh, he's just an easy victim because when you handle it that much, you're going to have mistakes. Um, Alex Nedeljkovic handles the puck. I think he's underrated elite puck handler. Tristan Jari, um, Carey Price, having been on the ice with him at summer camps and watching him just, you know, in the warm-up skate around with the kids and just, like, dangle between. You know, and he, he keeps his stick shorter, which sort of started a trend of goalies keeping their stick shorter so they could get the puck in their feet and really move it around. Like, I watch him, and I think he'd be on my list not just because of how well he handles the puck, but because of how well he thinks that part of the game and because every time I see him... Like you see him every once in a while go out in skater gear, right? And and play around with it and take one tease and rip them off the bar. So he, pro I'm probably gonna miss a bunch. Um, but so those guys, I don't know how many that's up to. And then the other guy that I know 
plays in the summer. Um, so there's two, like, I don't know if he still does, but he was quite deep into a very long future Hall of Fame career. As Marc-Andre Fleury used to play shinny with friends in the summer. So I'm willing to bet he's got some hands and some dangles. And another one, you know, again, there's probably more than I'm aware of, but like a guy like Garrett Sparks, who mm. um, obviously was a great story when he came up with the Leafs. He's back, you know, back in the NHL this year with the LA Kings for a bit and had a lot of success. And I know he plays like quite actively, you know, out as a skater in the summers. And so, you know, I'm just going to lean towards the guys that, A, I know handle the puck really well, but I, also guys that I know actually do go out and do it. And to me, the interesting thing is, like, when they retire, none of these guys play net, ever. Like, it is almost unheard of. They all want to go out and score goals and dangle. Like, every guy that plays, there might be one or two in the entire league of all time that actually still play goal. It's, it's remarkable. And I watched some of them out there as skaters, and pretty good they're pretty good because they're smart right they understand the game they understand the nuances they understand their whole life has been about reading and anticipating the patterns and once they're out there as a part of the patterns they can still read and anticipate it as well as anyone it's uh the one thing the one i was thinking of was uh anton hudobin who there's videos of him taking absolute bombs at the net uh from the circle um and the other one would be for me Jordan Binnington, um, just because I want him as an angry defenseman. Uh, <laughs> I don't care how well he ang- handles the puck. I want him ready to fight someone at all times. He'd protect you as a goalie, wouldn't he, for sure. And, and you're right, Doby's pro- there's probably there's probably a bunch that we're not even thinking of. And that's the thing, right? They've all got skills, right? Like the goalie's no longer just a mechanical get around the crease. Like there's no such thing as a blocking goalie anymore. They're all really athletic. And so there's probably a whole bunch of guys that would really surprise us if they went out. We could probably put together a pretty good team of goalies with none of them playing in net. As far as the other end of it, though, because I didn't answer, I'm going to go Alex Edler. And again, this is biased by experience, but watching him play in Vancouver's defenseman for all these years... It's like he so desperately wanted to be a, a goalie, <laughs> including at times when he should have just continued to be a defenseman. But watching it over the years, some of his butterfly, you know, a couple pad stacks. Um, there, there was a bravery element in terms of getting in front of shots in those situations and a technique element that I think he could pull it off. Just a couple more questions. You're, you're, I'm all, I've almost freed you. I would also like to say it took us about 50 minutes for you to mention uh, all the names of the, on the jerseys behind you. We were waiting on Price, and we finally got there. We started with Luongo, then we got to Lundqvist, and now you just touched on, on Carey Price. So I'm impressed it took you that long. Yeah, Olympic jerseys. Um, and uh, just, you know, it's funny. The, the, Carey's a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit here through some of the camps that we've done, and you, you've probably seen the the drills and stuff that, you know, we, we bring at end goal. Uh, Roberto, first guy covering, and Henrik, just more of a fan. Um, I just love the way he competed, that intensity, and we can't wait to have him on the, you know, obviously an emotional ceremony the other night, retiring his number, and we we're expecting to have him on the Ingo Radio podcast real soon too. So I'm really thrilled and looking forward to that one. So those are just, I mean, the, it, it makes for a nice backdrop because they're all the Olympic jerseys. They're all signed. Um, makes for a stylish sort of rate my room. I hope it does okay on the, the rate my room stuff. Um, but they're also three guys that uh, just had an incredible appreciation for both as athletes and as people. You're, you're doing better than me. I've got my, um, my, two, my, my junior B team, <laughs> who I also played midget with for a couple games when their goalie nice. dislocated. Their so you've shoulder. already you're like way high. When people talk about goalie whisper, you are also already way more legitimate than I am as in terms of actually underst- playing the position. I uh, oh, I'm taking this. You're just pumping my tires, man. Just nonstop. <laughs> um, I haven't used this question in a while, but I'll bring it back because it's fun. Where do you see yourself or in goal in in five years? Um, together for sure. Uh, cause I don't think, I think there's more than five years left in these hips. And I think as much as I worry about whether I can maintain the passion for in goal when I don't have the passion for playing anymore, I think it will continue. Um, so definitely the both of us still working together and hopefully just growing. Um, you know, for Ingalls existed for 10, it's become 
a viable business, not a get, no one's getting rich, but an actual business that's going to have a, sh- a long shelf life. Um, hopefully beyond me and, and David Hutchison, because it'll, it, it'll be sustainable enough that we can hire more people to help us. Um, only that's only happened in the last two years since we launched in gold premium. Uh, up until that point there were, we had, you know, we tried different things and some worked and some didn't, but at the end of the day, you know, it, for the most part was a glorified hobby. Um, we worked with, you know, we, we tried advertising as a source of revenue. We worked with a lot of the major manufacturers, but the reality is none of them have spent money on advertising. Like it took a lot of sort of work to get them to. And then frankly, I'm not going to name names, but some of the bigger companies just absolutely stiffed off, stiffed us on like some pretty large bills. Um, so a lot of lessons learned. I think at the end of the day though, where in goal needs to be is sort of informing, uh, young goaltenders and being that conduit to NHL guys, um, whether it's teaching tips or just, you know, sort of general cool gear stuff and, you know, really relying on the people that read us to sort of help us survive as a business, as opposed to being advertising based. Um, it's a niche. So you're never going to, the numbers are never going to be big enough to get the Fords and the Audis of the world involved and the niche in terms of the gear companies, like they just, they just don't spend, right. Cause a lot of them spend hundreds, you know, spend all their money on marketing to actually pay guys to wear their gear in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So there's not much left over. So that's a, something we've had to learn. Um, I'd say five years from now, hopefully it's five times bigger. Hopefully it's not just me and David Hutchison and Darren Millard on the podcast and a handful of contributors. Hopefully there's five more people working full time with us that have the same passion as me and David Hutchison do for the position so that we can bring more of it to more people. Again, if you need an Australian correspondent, you have my Twitter. Oh, oh <laughs> don't worry. I've already earmarked that one. Not everything needs to be... You don't have to be in the backyard of the NHL guys to do all the stuff. There, there's there's such a thing as working remotely, my friend. We're, we're going to be having a conversation. <sighs> I'm blushing. Um, uh, well, uh, last question. I'm bombing in fantasy right now. Uh, who should I... Which goalie should I pick up to, to save my season? I started with Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, who just started fucking terribly. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll drop getting... him. That's not going to save it. And now he's great. Now he's great. So He's great, but he's still on a bad team, right? Like so much of that is. Now, I think I got to give you the caveat here. My nickname in my longest standing hockey book, like literally what they put on the, on the uh, online uh, standings page is not Kevin Woodley. It's The Donator. So a uh, bunch of jackasses I've known since college that I still do a pool with, and they like to remind me that I have literally never won. Um, however, I'm winning one of my other pools, thanks in large part to having Freddie Anderson in the last round as everybody else was wasting high picks everywhere else. We got to the last round, and I actually had to be like, yeah, who do I take here? I had like Jacob Markstrom, Thatcher Demko, or Frederick Anderson were still on the table. And... Markstrom would have been cool because it was five points for a shutout, but we also give three points for apples and Freddie's got four of them already. So, um, you know, that was a decision of trusting Frederick Anderson, but also knowing he's on a great team. So my famous line on the radio, when I do radio hits or whatever, it's 32 thoughts or whatever is goaltending or Dimitri that with the, um, the PDO cast, I think it was even the title of the PDO cast this last time. Goaltending never exists in a vacuum. If you, you can have a great goaltender on a bad team and there's only so much they can do and because so much of fantasy is results and wins and losses and shutouts, look for a really good defensive team and find a goaltender that you think is going to play a lot of games. I normally, now this is where the cheat comes in, I normally shy away from goalies on new goalies in new places because sometimes there's an adjustment period and you know sometimes it's just the, the environment can even look the same or look similar. We talked about Flurry and Edmonton and things like that. It can look somewhat similar, but it's never the same. And, and sometimes there's so many factors that could throw it off. But as I neared the 12th round and this very difficult decision, and don't forget, I kind of thought Demko would be a Vesna candidate this year. Like I believe strongly in, in the, where his game is trending. So I was tempted to sort of put my money where my mouth was and pick him. I also figured that Markstrom would have a bounce back behind a Daryl Sutter team, that that might be a fit, but I didn't think the Flames would win this much. So I was kind of weighing that and Freddie Anderson. And this is the beauty as we get late into the draft and I'm the only guy that needs a goaltender. So I know I can 
leave it to the last round and no none of the other ones are disappearing i'm literally text messaging the goalie coach from the carolina hurricanes and asking him how how is freddie fitting in this year and how are things looking knowing that i will get an honest answer so thank you paul schoenfelder i trusted you you were honest with me and it's paying off in what could be my first ever hockey pool victory for the donator oh gosh yeah no i'm um i don't have that ability but uh, next time I'll just text you to text him to see where I can go. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming on the, the podcast today, man. This, uh, this means a lot. You've given me plenty of your time. Hopefully I didn't take up too much family time. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad the Canucks won. I think you were in a, a good mood because of it. Oh, I, I try to be in a good mood as much as I can. But the beauty is, remember I told you about the statistics, computer science, math major stuff at UBC. It's math homework night upstairs. So it's okay if I hang out down here for a little <laughs> bit. Because as much as that used to be what I did now, it just makes my brain hurt. They, that's right. I'm glad. I, hopefully you can turn the brain off uh, with this one. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Had an absolute blast, Alex. Well, well, well. If that wasn't a sweet bloody treat... Um, Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, again, generous with your time over an hour. Um, uh, lovely guy, <laughs> just a really, really lovely fella. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, everything was wrapped up very nicely in that episode. If I, if I do say so myself, um, if you enjoyed this video, video podcast, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, consider subscribing, leave us a rating. Uh, it, it really helps out. Consider following me on Twitter at MediasidePod or at Alex Furolo, A-L-E-X-F-U-R-O-L-O. Uh, I hope you enjoyed and um, happy scrolling.